Are you seeking to broaden your horizons, to stay relevant and become future fit? Do you want to fuel your creativity and inspire innovation? Or are you simply looking to put the kapow back into your business? Then look no further. Join Carmen Murray, entrepreneur, innovator, and tech fundi with her big personality and presentation style as she interviews celebrities, alchemists, newsmakers, and business experts to discover the stories behind their success. The Carmen Murray Show will open your mind and help you turn knowledge into magic. Let knowledge be your superpower. And now, from Solid Gold Studios, here's your host, Carmen Murray. Hey, 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 Future Fit Tribe, welcome to another episode on the Carmen Murray Show. Now, I'm super excited because as I am going on my own individual learning journey, I'm coming across very interesting people. And every time when I feel like I am dissolving in their knowledge, I feel like I need to bring them to you so that you can also learn. And without further ado, I've got Franz van Um, He's with me here in studio and he's actually a lecturer at Henley Business School, but he's also a management consultant. And I listened to one of his talks um, recently where he was talking about storytelling and I was absolutely blown away. So it took a few months because he's busy with his PhD and there's a lot going on in the background. You know, all the smart people working on those thesis is a thesis. I, it's a thesis. I just want to make sure my dyslexia is not creating <laughs> a different word here. Yeah. Um, but welcome, Francis. It's awesome to have you in studio. Thanks, Carmen. It's wonderful to be here and, and nice to join you here today. Awesomeness. Okay, so let me try and go back and see how much I can remember. So you were talking on a webinar specifically about African storytelling and how relevant that is within our continent. Yes. Um, I was watching something on CNN the other day and this one gentleman said, how inspiring. We've got a continent of over one billion people. Therefore, we have over one billion stories that needs to be told. What's your point on that? And that is so true. And you know, Carmen, if you if you look at the African continent, the way our history has been passed along through generations is through stories. So the story is probably the most important thing on this African continent, and we neglect it so often. You know, we take our young kids into classrooms and we give them a book on history. The way we should be doing this is to tell the story. This is how it's been done for centuries. You know, ever since the continent started and little villages came about, there was the story. You told the story about your village. You told the story about the village next door or the visitors to that village. There's a nice story in that, you know, in the villages, in those old villages, they used to cook extra food because if visitors arrived, there should be food for them. So they might not come, but if they did, there would be food because this was the oldest, oldest way of customer centricity. You would want people to visit your village, and if they left your village, they should say, wow, that's the nicest village I've ever visited. Oh, my word. (laughs) Isn't that fascinating? But back to the story. So the stories, the grandmothers told the stories. 
And the kids sat around, you know, the old the, the saying that we still have, it takes a village to raise a child, same then. Mother was working maybe agriculture in the fields or doing some art. Father was working somewhere. And the grandmothers looked after the children. And the grandmothers told the children the stories, the history of the tribe, where they came from, how it came that they were there, where they are now, how she saw the future, what good people do. Because in Africa, there was no, on the continent, there's never really been an understanding of a bad person. You have to, it went about character. Mm. You have to have a good character and it's up to the elders to make sure that you have the good character through telling you the right stories. So the story is an ancient way of telling Africa's story. Mm. But we're neglecting it. Eh? We are not concentrating on the story because, we, as I say, we've now written the books and, we've, yes. and we want the kids to read the books. But it is about the story. You're 100% right. Um, actually, last night, my um, syndicate group, we were busy doing field mm. work. Mm. And one interesting story came out. And I've never thought about this in my life, right? So... Welcome, BitBoy, who's a gangster, yes. uh, who used to be a gangster. He's not a gangster anymore, guys. Sorry, I have to correct yeah. that. He used to be used a gangster be. and he's rehabilitated. And he is doing such great work in the community and trying to take youth out of the gangs and building their self-esteem and so forth, working with the parents. And um, Tombi, who works with, with him, one of the directors of Bright Spark, said they would sometimes um, create dignity packs. And they never thought about it because Ntombi is Kosa and then Welcome is, is colored. And then there's all these different cultures that they're dealing with. And then the fathers get upset when they hand the dignity pack to the kids because they are basically um, humiliating the dad. And the dad's like, do you think I cannot provide for my child? Yeah. I work so hard. Yeah. And where people think like sometimes you're doing, you do, you're doing good, you're actually insulting because you don't understand the cultural dynamics and and this comes with storytelling and how divided our country was and I, I th we don't know much about each other's cultures here i speak it's for myself a, it's very true and that's one of the big downfalls of business they go into other countries as south african businesses or european businesses american that are coming to do business on africa they never take the time to find out about the culture they never take the time to find out about the stories mm. that are around the culture and that create the culture. So you just put your business down. And in many instances, just like you've related now, you can show disrespect in many ways, but you don't know that you're showing disrespect. But you didn't bother to do the homework. Mm. And then, of course, your business fails after a while because people are not going to support you because they find you offensive. And you sit back and you think, why? But it's because we didn't go through the just the basic homework of listening to the stories of the culture of the place that we're going to do business in. You know, we keep on saying, and we, you hear it every day, you will hear it in your course, we have to know and understand our customers. Mm. Now, if you don't know the culture of your customer, the stories of your customer, how can you know and understand them? So why is it important for us to know that in South Africa, but when we go and do business in Ghana, somehow we don't have to know it? Mm. Of course you do. Mm. And then it's about the story, is it not? 100%. Yeah. I mean, this story is the fabric of our society on, on the continent. And we do neglect it often. It's so interesting that you say that because the, the one part is, as you mentioned earlier on, 
the grandmothers are sharing the stories to their grandchildren. Mm. It's not documented somewhere accessible to the rest to know this culture. Like I'm just thinking of the pygmy tribe. You know those pygmy hats? Mm. Have you ever seen those pygmy hats where it's got two strings on the side and there's this massive, massive um, hat? And the pygmy tribe, the woman, when they were ready to get married, they used to put on this this hat and then they would, it's got feathers on top of the hat and then they would pull the strings on the side and then the feathers will start moving. And in the tribe, it shows she's available and she's ready to mingle. And like it's small little little things like that and, and things that obviously evolve, cultures evolve, it is modernizing, but a lot of people don't have access to each other's cultures. And I think there's a lot of biases. We look at the top of the iceberg and we see what we see and how people show up in the world, but we don't understand what's going on there in the bottom of that iceberg. I'm starting to sound like an academic. No, you are absolutely fine. <laughs> <laughs> lots, of, lots of academic stuff in there, but we, we can understand that iceberg is the giveaway. Yeah. <laughs> when they start talking about the iceberg, then we must know. <laughs> oh, gosh. Of course, and then we talk iceberg somewhere in a village and people have never seen an iceberg, you know, where would you understand but but you are so right and you know it's also about a certain sophistication you know we spoke shared value earlier on and um, the shared value being such an African concept because shared value is about sharing as it says it's about co-creation it's about collaboration eh? now we're getting all academic again but collaboration meaning we work together so so in your village People or the leaders will make a decision as to what would be good for the village, eh? Mm. that shared value. If we do this, would it be good for everybody in the village? Mm. Not this Western thing of, if I make the decision, will I make another million? Mm. Who cares? I better, you know, the employees are an expense. We need to pay them as little as possible. It's all about the shareholders and what we can make. The shared value concept is about everybody, all the stakeholders. And that is a completely African village concept. Eh? Mm. So we're writing about it now and we're learning about it now. It's not alien to our people. We've still got black tax today. We've got all those things we need to look after. If I have more in the family, I share. Mm. I look after. How many people do I speak to that are paying for nieces and nephews at university because they've got more? So we share. It's mm. complete shared value. It's an African concept. But I've got another interesting one on just on the wisdom, old African wisdom. So there was the Dogon tribe years ago, and there's still some left, but they were at their height about a thousand years ago or so. And they had this, and this was also passed on via the story. They believed that you had to work very hard at what you did. So this would then be, in their context, agriculture, or it could be art, or, you know, tending the fields, whatever it might be. You have to work very hard at that. It's important. You have to be productive, do your thing, and make sure it happens. But then they also believed that second to that, you have to work very, very hard at relationships and your relationship, especially your relationship with your family. So we had to make sure that was healthy and wholesome because they said if you didn't have a relationship with your family and people around you, you could not do your job properly at the end of the day because it depended on those relationships. But then thirdly, they said, 
you had to also look after yourself. As hard as you worked and worked on the relationships, you had to work after yourself to get new knowledge, to make sure that you advanced yourself, that you learned new things, listened to new stories, eh? to get more information. Because if you didn't have that, you couldn't do the other two. Yeah. And then the fourth one, equally hard, you had to work at rest. Because if you didn't rest, none of the others would happen. So that's balanced lifestyle. What you are reading today in your PG Dip in your books is about balanced lifestyle. We're writing huge books about it. Comes through the stories in African history. Eh? It's amazing. That was how we lived. They lived their lives. That is what they believed. That is what the grandmothers told the children how they should live. So there's enormous African wisdom in our African stories that we can apply today and do more of. But we are ignoring it because we are busy with the history books in our instance, and those history books are mostly European. Now, I'm not saying, an American, we shouldn't know that history, but not at the cost of our own. Of our own. And our beautiful stories. Eh? We, we've got beautiful stories. And yeah. I know this is going to sound strange because it's going to give my age away, and, and people are flabbergasted by it. But I mean, our school um, curriculum deliberately withheld information about what was going on in South Africa during apartheid. So I remember, I think I was 16 years old, and the school principal called us all into the hall um, to make an announcement that Nelson Mandela is going to be released, and they suspect there's going to be a civil war. We we can't come to school. I still remember, I think it was 27th or something, and I can't remember which month, maybe, I don't know, March, or I don't know. And we all, all of my school friends, we look at each other and go, Who's Nelson Mandela? Yes. Went home. Yes. Who's Nelson Mandela? Mm. And then the story that came to you obviously come from the perception that was managed, yeah. um, you know, through the apartheid regime. The terrorist. The, the terrorist. Yeah. And, and I was just like, um, and years later, it's like, you, you look at that and it's like, who's, who's holding mm. this narrative mm. at the end of the day? And, and it just, it's, it's fascinating me just listening to the whole story of, of wisdom and how that's imparted. I used to work in a gallery many years ago in the bush. Um, close to Bushbuck Ridge, Sangeeta, and um, I know it well. I opened some stores. Up oh, there. is it? Oh, <laughs> lovely! Like it, it was really the place of miracles for me. Some of my best learnings, learnings yeah. from animal, learnings from the African cultures and people, and so forth. And um, when I was working in the gallery, um, there was a lot of art and artifacts and all of that kind of stuff. And I remember there was this one piece about weaving. Now, weaving was actually a form of reconciliation. So what they did was the females weaved baskets. Thousands of years ago, when the tribes were moving through other tribes to to find land and to find a home with their family and they create their own village, they sometimes had to pass through other villages. And then what would happen is the men wanted to kill them and then the women would come and they would say, no, let us teach them how to weave, then they can pass through the a village and we give them a skill um, that they can create beautiful things for their villages. And then they would stay there for a couple of days and the women would sit around and the tribe passing through is teaching this new tribe how to actually do the weaving. And this is why across Africa, Indonesia, Asia, you will always see weaving and mm. beading mm. Um, because this is the knowledge that was imparted as Absolutely. a form of reconciliation. Yeah. And all of these stories, it's so hard to find it online because it's so lost and it's 
fascinating, yet it's so sad because how do we harvest those mm. stories? And in your weaving story, there's also obviously the creativity, eh, which is very much yes. part of, of what's happening. So, and, and again, today we are saying to people, if you are a good leader, you'll be creative. Mm-hmm. Creativity has always been part of this continent. Eh? Cohen, if we can take the old values of Africa, we would be such a good, in such a good space because it's about caring, it's about giving. It's about looking after each other. It's about making those decisions, collaboration, co-creation, all those sort of things. And that's what we are preaching today. And we are sitting right on top of those value systems. They are ancient African value systems. We just need to reawaken them. Because, of course, with slavery and colonialism, we were um, banishing those, you know, we were saying, you are no good, you don't know anything, we don't want to know, you need to know our stuff that comes from elsewhere. Mm. So it's about bringing those stories alive again, and getting that information, because it is, it is good. If you just look back at the um, Kusan people, the Ku and the Sun people from, when they traveled into the desert and Obviously, there's little water, thirst, that sort of thing. They discovered these little plants, and they're still there. My mother comes from Namaquiland. They have. Uh, you take it out, and you can eat the root hmm. because it's got moisture in it. It's water. So the sun people on their treks would only take every second plant because you had to leave the other one for people coming behind you because some people are going to come at some stage, and they are also going to be thirsty. So we need to leave them a plant. Now, if you and I got thirsty in that desert today, we'll take all the plants and eat them all because we're thirsty. (laughs) (laughs) That is so true. That's the thing. And they would also only kill a male animal. Only one, because that's all they needed hunting to eat. So whether there were 10 standing, you didn't kill all. It's not necessary. You take what you need because you're living in harmony with nature. Back to shared value. Mm. If you are going to destroy this nature... You will not have food tomorrow. It's a very simple thing. So you can't kill the female because she has to give birth. So you can take a male and only enough for us to eat. Isn't that a beautiful value system? A beautiful one, yeah. And that comes through stories. (laughs) And that's stuff we can use, but we are not telling the stories because we are obsessed with the Queen of England. Oh, no. Like, listen, whatever's going on there, like these arranged uh, affairs, and like, like, it's just crazy. I'm like, oh my gosh. It's not our thing. I always remember asking my Oma, I always say, Oma? Why is my blood not blue? Like, why do you say the royal blood is blue yes. blood? I never used to understand that. Like, how? What? What made them special? How mm. did they determine they've got blue blood when they they like us? They they're not. They're also human, right? Yeah. And my grandkids never. No, they just can't come out of uh, like um. You know, the, they're just royalty. And I'm like, but explain royalty to me. What does it actually mean? Mm. And I remember because we still, uh, my granny used to collect coins. I mean, the yeah. pennies and the, um, you know, from the the previous uh, world colonialism and all of that. So, I don't know. Like for me personally, the the one thing I I have to point out is, although I I I'm so fascinated by African culture, the one thing is the patriarchy. I mean, that we have to address. That is not traditional. Is it not no, traditional? It was brought in by really? colonials. It's like homophobia. It never existed. This is a colonial thing. It, wow. No, Africa 
before slavery and colonialism, was an exceptionally matriarchal society. Goddess Isis, who came from, went into Egypt because Ra was messing up and she thought we better save the day there, and became a very powerful woman. The Queen of Sheba that visited Solomon, that beautiful story which yeah. is based on truth, you know, and the sort of thing. Also, women, women all over the place. The women were the strong people on the continent. And very powerful. Even if you go to the Nubian and, and, and Egyptian history there, you know, in the women were running finances, they were running property sectors. It was no, women were very prominent on the continent. Very prominent. This is so fascinating. This is to a me. new thing now that we suddenly say it's it's patriarchal. This came, you know, when Shaka Zulu saw everybody fighting, he thought, Let me fight too. This is the <laughs> thing to do, you know. <laughs> But this is this is fascinating because, um, wow, I was reading something the other day that really fascinated me. The moment you see a poem that says anonymous, then you know it's done by a woman. Seventy percent of it's done yeah. done by a woman, or it probably somebody that's mm. um, of a, um, you know a different culture. And it's just fascinating how all of these things reach us. And I mean, I'm at that stage of my life where there's there's religion and there's all of that and. Which one is right? I was um, at a hotel recently and it was for Easter and asked them, listen, uh, are you guys doing anything special for Easter? And the Italia says, no, unfortunately we don't because we don't differentiate. And then I got into the um, the room and there was a Mormon's Bible and the, the Holy Bible. Right. And I was like, there's over 2,000 religions. Yes. 2,000 different perspectives yes. of what God looks like and what the story is. How can you say you're not differentiating? You're doing it in the room that I'm staying yeah, in, exactly. but you're not you're not being inclusive yeah. to everybody out there. Um, not that I'm expecting anything for Easter. I mean, I'm not expecting a bunny hopping around giving me yeah, chocolate eggs. What you say is valid, you know. It's the and it's a it, it, this is now comes down to regulation because when yeah. you get a hotel to be regulated, um, five star or four star, whatever the case might be, you have to have a Bible in the room and this is not just here this is all across the globe and you're just trying to understand when how did the system get so lost like yeah and a lot of indoctrination eh? yeah it's that sort of thing and um and then a lot of what religion unfortunately and and you know it's so sad but most religions are basically good at the heart of it it's all about love and care old african traditions and caring for each other loving each other but it's all become something else it's now all about if you don't think or believe like me do i'm going to kill you or you know you are like going to Trumpians burn in hell and, uh, or you you know i remember our Dumini because Af growing up afrikaans you know he stood there on the high pulpit and he used to shout, you know, you're going to burn in hell because this was our thing. Every Sunday you had to go and listen to that. And I thought, now what? And, of course, on the pulpit was written, God is love. But it's not coming <laughs> you know, from... There's no love here. <laughs> this is, it looks very much like hate to me. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I totally agree. I also, the Ingekaat, like, also yeah. grew, I grew up in that. Not that I'm I'm against um, anything, but I think that the one, gereformeerde Ingekaat. And... I was, as a child, petrified that God's going to just take me away. Me um, and and I, I was too scared to go to toilets. Um, I thought it was a sin. Everything I did was, I felt like was a sin. Whatever is negative is a sin. The rapture is going to happen and it's going to happen right now. And, and, you know, if I'm in the moment of sin and I used to be asking for forgiveness if I walked over an ant. 
like stupid stuff like that. I'm not saying that we shouldn't we, we should respect ants, but I mean, like, um, no, I hear you, but it's about the joy of something eh? rather than being frightened of it mm. and and that unfortunately to a great extent is what it's become eh? that you have to be scared that you will go to hell and therefore you'll do the following what happened and again new management theory we have to inspire people to be motivated to do things to enjoy what they're doing you know 100 sort of percent and that's what's lost there eh? And then again, that comes back to the story because it's about inspiring. It's about telling the beautiful, wholesome stories of caring and collaboration, co-creation, and let's inspire and let's motivate and let's get people to do, enjoy what they're doing. Eh? Mm. And remember the balance of the doggone tribe. Mm. You know, that we, it's about the relationships. It's about also looking after ourselves and then we can do what we need to do. But we need to enjoy what we're doing. Eh? And we need to sleep because the sleep committee needs to work at night. You know. Um, I put a post out the other day about um, the, uh, you, when you don't have an answer for a problem, go to sleep, let the sleep committee work and let your brain cells figure it out. And it's so, so true. And I think um, we almost wear this overworking environment. We mm. almost wear it like a badge of honor. And I don't know, I'm, a, I'm very good at observation. I'm also very good at netnography. Mm. I learned this is a word, ne? netnography. I'm impressed. I'm impressed. Um, I didn't know. I just assumed <laughs> I just, it's, it's something I do. Um, I just thought I'm a digital spy. <laughs> That's a fabulous word. You must throw it around everywhere. <laughs> and uh, and I, I love observing and just seeing, you know, how people behave and so forth and that mm. informs how i how my neuron network collides mm. and how my ideas um shape and form and um i can just see people are people are lost people yeah. are overworked people are not inspired they're not motivated they're just scared to say anything and i think it's time i mean i'm from i mean now it's public so i can just yeah. as well say it but i mean for me my heart is really drawing since i've been able to sit with people like yourself and and sit in the studio and talk to people that have different belief systems than me people that that are amazing i'm talking about um incidents that happens with Woolworths and ubuntu baba like um, and, and try and have debates with lawyers like we've done such amazing things and for me it's about learning something from that person so that i can find a way of uniting and having a different perspective and still show love and compassion. And through doing and learning from each other, it, it's opened up my world. And now storytelling for me is the healer in my life. Absolutely. And just think, you're talking about the love and compassion. It's all just kindness, eh? Yeah. And that is what comes out throughout the stories of the continent. It's oh, There's always kindness. It is about being kind to each other. Mm. And if we can just all be a bit kind, how beautiful would this place be? Mm. And then you touched on this thing of working very hard because it's, you know, we have this thing about, and, and, and it's come through the latest books and things that have been written. You have to work so hard. You have to put in all the hours. You can't be unproductive. You have to, you know. There was this, there's this beautiful book written. It's something about abundance, about, again, the Khoisan people in Namibia. This man spent a number of 20 years there. Wow. And it's, it's fascinating. And he asked one of the guys, he said, so 
what do you think of these white people? Well, firstly, he said, I think they're sexually frustrated. But after that, he <laughs> said, they've got this time issue. They want to start everything now and then it's got to be finished there. It's all measured. It's all this freneticism. He said, why? Time is cyclical. It runs in circles, you know. We can start something. We can leave it a bit. We can pick it up again. We can go around. We can start something else. We can go around. You know, it doesn't have to all start here and end there. And, of course, this whole thing about working so hard because then you're going to be so successful is a plot because, you know, only 1% of the people are actually reaching that dream or goal. The rest all work for them and make them wealthy. So it has to come back, especially in our time now, to enjoying what you're doing. Eh? Mm. It has to come back to enjoying the time spent doing what you're doing. Mm. It has to come back to going home and saying, wow, that was nice. Mm. Not, oh, God, I've got these deadlines. How am I going to make it? What am I going to do? I better work harder. I better sleep less. You know, it's like, and I want to get that prize, the employee of the year, or I want that certificate or the watch. It's, 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 it's not but, on. Well, don't you think this is like I was watching the Red Table Talk. They were actually having a conversation about gaslighting and narcissism and how mm. this is becoming mm. – um, our culture is becoming very narcissistic very, very. and it's all about what you own and what you have mm. um and 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 one of the big things about narcissists is the, the lack of empathy so uh, and that lack of empathy is anti-african okay a lot of it has come through because of course if you live under a certain way a lot of people adopt that way mm. and you know i've seen it in corporate room uh, corporate businesses to be successful you have to be like the CEO. And if the CEO is narcissistic and has all those tendencies, and then obviously you're going to follow that because that mm. is your example. And if you look back, Carmen, at the, at the examples that we've put out there of what success is all about, there's a lot of narcissism in there. So, you know, just think of Donald Trump. <laughs> but, it, but it is that picture that we need to change. We need to tell a different story. You know what fascinated me, and I'm just moving slightly away from African stories, but I think that there is a connection. Um, okay, so so we were one of the first storytellers. I am sure that you've spoken about this at one of the conferences. I don't know. About um, the cavemen. They were the earliest storytellers. And something that's really fascinating about them is that they used to show how they would kill an animal, but the animal is like massive, like this big, big, mm. big, big animal that they just slaughtered and then they show how they had the campfire, they ate it because they wanted to leave a footprint and they wanted to their, their story to be heard. Of course. Right? It's almost like the, the tagline of Sodical Podcast Studios. <laughs> <laughs> be heard. And then life um, evolved and we always elaborate on our story. So when we tell something, we always put a little bit of extra, that extra pinch of salt mm. in there, you know? Mm. And I've always found it very fascinating that we have we are all natural storytellers but the, when we label it that's all of a sudden where we feel the pressure yes. it needs to be something miraculous and then a guy like uh, mcconaughey writes the green lights and he kept a journal of his life for i think 20 years went away for for three months and wrote this big aha moment reflecting on his life and all his little stories to show that we are all the same way yes. and I was like maybe I should start documenting my life like 
even if it's just on a few liners, just that. Well, I think one should. I didn't don't do it either, but I really do think one should. And obviously, the older I get, the more I think it's it's important. And um, because you have a story to tell, mm. and you need to, and and we can't tell it if we don't make the notes, and you know, and tell the small stories that will make up the bigger story. Yeah. So I think it's important. I think it's very important. So if if, if you had to go into an African village, how? Like harvesting stories is, is difficult and, and you want to get the highs and the lows because I think people think that you always need to be in the hero state. You need to be victorious mm. in the moment where you're at. But you could be in a moment where you're completely vulnerable, You a lot of tragedy in your life. How do you go in good or bad stories that you collect to to get almost like an unbiased story but also not to make the person feel humiliated. Yes, and that's why it's so important to understand the culture. Yeah. And it's so important to speak to people before you go so that you know what is important and how does one behave. Mm. Because still in most, I was very lucky, I went to a village about two years ago in the Congo where very oh. few people come. It was miles out. They took me, we drove, and there's close by is a beautiful waterfall and a place where the ancestors are. And, and I was very privileged that they took me there too. But I did quite a bit of research on how the people live and what they do beforehand. But it is like the old African village. Still, people welcome you in. I have never gone into any rural area anywhere on this continent. And I've again been blessed. I've visited 40-odd countries on the continent due to work and things so, and, and also my own travels. But I have never, ever not felt welcome anywhere. Mm. In the cities, maybe in certain areas, because that's so westernized. But if you go off the beaten track, people will welcome you with open arms anywhere. They are delighted that you have taken the time to visit them. So it's very difficult not to get the, that sort of reception, and then because that's the African thing. And then the other thing is they love to tell their stories. They want to tell you what's happening in their lives and what's going on and show you. Mm. I mean, with pride, they took me to that place of the ancestors. And I'm just giving you one example because, because they wanted to show me. I had to understand that I had to be quiet and, you know, that I couldn't say certain things and do certain things because that is what it's all about. And I also got some stuff on my forehead to protect me for in case the ancestors were not too happy with this white man coming there. You know? <laughs> so, I love it. But it was beautiful and it was poignant and it was just and silence there, of course, because they, have, they are silent then, just one person at a time talking. But it was just an incredible experience. But in that village, everybody wanted to tell me a story. And the children were running around in chickens and goats. And there goes back to my big story. When did we decide, and this is written in a book called Ecofeminism, which is a beautiful book, that if you live in a hut next to a stream with your children, your goats, your mango and your avo tree, that you are poor? Yeah. Because it's our perception yes. of wealth. Eh? It's got to shine. It's got to be a big car and a fancy house and a sort of a thing. But can you imagine, you live next to the stream, you've got water, you've got food, you've got your children, you've got your family, you've got your relationships. How yeah. can you be poor? And that is the big story of Africa that we need to tell more of. Yeah. This perception that Africa is all about dirty mud huts and sick people. Which like is not. No. Which is not. No. Eh? If you look at... Just think back of Europe 
in the, when they had those, uh, what do they call them? I mean, now I've forgotten my history when the people were all trekking around for religion. <laughs> <laughs> you know, those, they had a specific name. But they were slaughtering and killing each other and the children were eaten by rats. It was really not a healthy place to be in. <laughs> and here people were living next to the stream with the tree and the mangoes. And, you know, so what's the better place? What's the better way? And if the Khoisan tells you, well, time is cyclical, you know, we can go around, it's fine. Why do you want to rush from one point to the other continuously? Be this frenetic thing of, oh, we must finish this now. What for? Why but, can't we just sit back and sing a bit and tell a story? But you know what's so fascinating is that these people are observationists, like Africans are observationists. I remember when I spoke earlier on about Sankita when I used to work there, like the wisdom we receive from them. So when the monkeys start making noise in the trees and you can hear them miles away, it means that there is a snake or there's a leopard on mm. its way. All of a sudden, all the game rangers go out because of a certain sound that's made. When um, an elephant stands next to you and he's eating, he's got displacement behavior and he's actually looking at you. He's very well, he, he actually pretends that he doesn't see you. And how they, they've observed animals and how we used to learn how to track and how we used to know okay right when an animal makes this noise be prepared get the guest safe and it's like there's no like a uh, walkie-talkie or something telling you okay right now listen there's a, a leopard or a, a notification from a, a, there's no signal in the first place it's purely based on nature and observing nature's behavior in the evenings to find your way back to the lodge you look at orion's belt they show you how to read the stars so that you can know how to find your way home now that's appreciating the nature you live in yeah. We can't do that because we're too busy thinking where the next million is going to come from or how are we going to make the million and then hardly any make it in any case. But that's the so how you can listen to a bird or a, or a thing or an animal because we're too obsessed with this thing called success. And success is entirely built on, as we said, what you have. Yeah. And is that capitalism? Like, I mean, like, uh, Dr. Milani the other day was saying capitalism was not meant to be bad, it, but it's people are greedy. Yeah. Of course, people are greedy and they exploit and they, yeah. And, and that's why you now go and make your thing where you can find cheap labor. What sort of a term is that? I make my Nike shoes in that factory because the labor is cheap. Yeah. And <laughs> I mean, know, these cell phones that we use. <laughs> It is horrific yeah. that people can just think like that. Now, where's the kindness? Yeah, and I think, I think kind is 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 so underrated. Mm. Um, and and one thing I have a problem with. So empathy was for, um, the word of the year last year. It really became like this big buzzword, um, if I can put put it that way. But what what's the point of making a word a word of the year? When it's not being practiced. Absolutely. A principle is not a principle if you don't put money behind it. Absolutely. And I don't mean money like no, like, like a mm. currency behind it, action or, mm. or of some sort. And I'm fascinated like kindness is now this new word that's all, all of a sudden this, this massive thing. But then you see somebody going to drop packets like we discussed, like drop packets somewhere mm. and take a selfie with me dropping the packet so I just can show that I'm doing some, I'm being kind. Exactly. And the company was talking kindness is looking for the cheap labor. You know, that's, exactly. Yeah, so it's it's empty. 
because it's not real kindness. It's not that kindness that you really mean and want to do because you want to be good to other people. And that's the kindness we need, and that's an African kindness. Of course, just quickly, the other thing is that education uh, knowledge is a very important African thing. Mm. In most of our civilizations, if you look at the Kingdom of Aksum, if you look at Mansa Musas, particularly who was the emperor of Mali, 1200s, he was famous for doing his big... Um, he was Muslim and he did the Holy Hajj. He went to, to Mecca. So he took 60,000 people with him and so many camels and, you know, he had the gold mines in Mali. And he trekked all the way to Mecca to, and, and then back again. And when he arrived in Egypt, he dished out so much gold that he crashed the local money market for about 10 years. Because oh everybody had gold, they didn't have to use the sort of, you know, their own currency. But that's not the important part. The important part is education was big for him. He said, I, and this was in 1234, I want all my people to have knowledge. And I want places of knowledge. They built libraries, there were books, wow. and manuscripts places people could go and sit. If you lived in Timbuktu, you could go to a quiet place where you could read. So knowledge was big, big. First university in the world, they will tell you, in Italy and below, not true. In Morocco, started by a woman. So um, education and, and knowledge has always been a very, very big thing on the continent. When the Queen of Sheba went to visit King Solomon because she wanted to get some of his wisdom, he said to her that he learnt so much from her because she's got an abundance of knowledge. Oh, that's beautiful. Coming from Africa. So knowledge has always been a big thing. I feel like we need a crackling fire. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> like, this was such a, like, it's, the time has passed. I, I'm almost like sitting almost on your lap. I'm just listening to all these stories. Like, it's so fascinating. Well, we must have some more. We, must <laughs> we should do definitely. Some more. And yeah. I think, you know, wouldn't it be a cool thing to do a fireside, like, we can. evening and just talk we Africa? Can, with pleasure. This was so much fun. Oh, my gosh. I'm, oh my gosh. Uh, it was great fun for me to be here as well, Carmen. Thank you. I really learned so much and I, I just feel so much more connected to this beautiful continent that we live in. And sometimes we just need to go and look for the light and, and stop worrying about the darkness that's always around oh, us. Let's look at all those lots of positive things that are there. Yes. And you know, the more we bring them out, the more we talk, the more we share, it becomes again part of our fabric. Which Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. So we're going to put your details in the below link if anybody wants to reach out to France. Um, from my side, um, we are definitely going to do a fireside evening. And even if we invite like people that are interested, I don't know, we can do something very cool. I don't know. We'll talk offline. You know me and my brain farts. Yes. You know them. <laughs> Um, anyway, so thank you guys for listening. I, I hope you're as inspired as I am and I um, wish you all the best until I see you guys or speak to you guys very, very soon. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. Thank you very much, Carmen. Bye-bye now. You've been listening to The Carmen Murray Show, another solid gold podcast. Please take a moment to rate and share this episode with friends and colleagues who love customer experience and marketing just as much as you do. To connect with Carmen, visit CarmenMurray.com, where you will find links to her business services, future fit events, and biz community articles. Carmen Murray is CEO of Ouya Modern Marketing Services that empower businesses to deliver premium customer experiences, B2B, B2C and B2B2C across all industries. Some of these services include research, 
CX strategy, persona development and customer journey mapping, CX audits, UX audits, and the connected marketer training in connected customer experiences, mobile, data management, and AI. You've been listening to another episode from the Solid Gold Podcast Studios.